Hi, I'm Mel Majoros. I am a three-year cancer survivor. My blog, The Cancer Warrior, is one of the top ten breast cancer blogs according to blogs.com. I'm here to bring a fresh, upbeat perspective to a topic that to some may seem scary. A positive mental attitude got me through my cancer, and I hope to share that with you. Today we're talking about what happens when a parent loses a child with cancer, and, well, where do you go from there? And we're talking with Danielle Leach. She is the mother of Mason, who uh, unfortunately lost the battle with cancer a couple years ago. How are you today, Danielle? Hi, how are you doing? Great. So I want to jump right in because your story is very amazing, and and so is your son, Mason, who uh, inspired you to do what you do today. So let's just jump right into that. Sure. Um, my son was diagnosed with um, disseminated medullary astoma, which means it was metastasized. A diagnosis, which means when he was what is that kind of metastasized cancer? means it was already uh, spread. Oh no, I mean, what kind of cancer is the medulloblastoma? Is that a brain? Medulloblastoma is a brain cancer. Okay, that is uh, one of the more common brain cancers that occur in children. Okay, and he was diagnosed right before his fourth his fourth birthday. Oh wow. And he fought valiantly for about 15 months, but unfortunately, uh, brain cancer is a tough one to beat, and um, he lost his life in September of, in October of 2007, and after a 15-month battle, and we have done a lot since then. Um, unfortunately, I had been in cancer as a advocate prior to even Mason being diagnosed because mm-hmm. my sister had had pediatric cancer as well, and I kind of got into the cancer field before that. So um, when Mason passed, I think uh, Mason was a very strong-willed five-year-old, and he (laughs) advocated for himself, and I think that that was really uh, incredible, and he was inspiring in his own way by just, he was one of those patients that got up and kept going every single day, no matter how awful he felt. So how, um, how did he advocate for himself? He was very um, precocious in how he asked <laughs> for things. Um, you know, if he one time told a doctor to go get the nurse that knows what she's doing. Oh, that's um, awesome. You know, he, uh, a lot, and you'll hear this a lot from parents of cancer kids, is that they really learn how to do things and navigate things themselves. Some of them, you know, are able to manage the pain pumps. They're... They talk with the nurses. They tell them what to do. And I think uh, allowing them those small choices uh, really allows them to feel empowered. And um, Mason definitely took advantage of that and wanted to, they, you know, they didn't underestimate him. Uh, he wanted to know what was happening with his body. He constantly asked what was happening. So we never lied to him as, you know, Things didn't go well. We told them why we had to go back to treatment. We told them why things were happening. Uh, and we were always honest with our kids right. about that. Matt, uh, now, do you have another child in addition to Mason? Yes, I have a son, Mateo, who's 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was uh, seven when Mason passed away. Um, and again, I think uh, the one way that they clearly advocated for each other is they um, they constantly wanted to know what was going on mm-hmm. and they were very vocal about asking questions and we as parents needed to be responsible and give them honest answers even if the answers were really hard right and Mateo's doing fine um again 
we learned how to advocate for the family after a child passes away as well. So now, well, how did how did your uh, other son take that as far as like, you know, Mason going through treatment? I know that a lot of uh, other children kind of feel left out because you're paying more attention to the one child who has the illness. Right. I think um, that's inevitable in some ways. But I think uh, we had a great community of people around us that made sure that my son was taking, my other son was taken care of when we were in the hospital and okay. treatment was fast and furious. And we had a great network and community of people that we reached out to and asked for the help oh, um, so that Mateo would not feel slighted. Also, Mason really um, would include him in a lot of things. And we didn't never forced our older son to go to the hospital or anything like that. But when it was possible, he would go visit his brother and, um, be a part of the process rather than isolating him away from it. Oh, good. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, it's hard when you, I, I, I've talked to a lot of survivors and they, it seems like if the one child who has cancer and then the other one kind of feels left out, but you know, it seems like you kept everyone in the loop, which was a good thing. And then if you're, and then if Mateo didn't want to be part of it, then he could hang out with your, uh, your circle of friends. Absolutely. And there's a great organization called Super Sibs that works a lot um, for advocating for the siblings of kids with um, cancer. And they're a great organization to reach out to for families that you know need ideas or need to find the support for their other children while their child is going through treatment. Oh, awesome. Now, did you find out about this organization while Mason was going through treatment? Yes. I think the, the important thing to do while your child is in treatment is to really connect with, there's a ton of resources uh, for families uh, through the hospital that you're typically treated at, and as well as external community uh, resources, especially for children. Um, you know, different organizations, the Make-A-Wish, the, the Starlight Foundation, all of those different groups, Super Sibs, there's a lot out there. And it can be a little overwhelming, but oh, I'm sure. if you if you can speak to your social worker and identify you know what you really need, there's usually something out there that can fill that gap. Well, what about some people who don't have the social worker to talk to? Because I know I know it's getting better as far as a lot of hospitals having somebody to talk to, but I know that some hospitals don't. So, what would right. you suggest for for those people? I think going to the childhood cancer organizations like, ACE, you know, American Childhood Cancer Organization, um, uh, different organizations that deal with childhood cancer, PAC-2 uh, is a network of uh, families uh, and parents and different organizations that typically have resource lists mm-hmm. available to them. But usually in the pediatric space, um, there usually is at least you can at least get one social worker assigned to you. Um, that uh, should be able to help navigate that. And usually, actually, the nurses are really good as well. Um, You're usually assigned a nurse practitioner that usually has a great um, uh, bank of knowledge that you can pick their brain with. So you you went through all this, and and how was that going through as a parent? Because I've I've talked (laughs) to a lot of people, you know, I've talked to a lot of parents. I haven't had it. Uh, a child. Well, I've had one child on. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Melinda Marciano. 
She's written a yes. book. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes, absolutely. She's terrific. She is amazing. So how was that as a parent to go through all this, seeing your child? I mean, obviously it was difficult, but can you uh, share with our listeners something that, that was about? I think, I think um, you're living the ultimate nightmare as a parent because you are, there's a lot of things normally in parenthood that you can't control, obviously. Right. But there are things that you never imagined that you would have to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, and for us, I think it was uh, the most difficult thing that we've ever been through. But also to watch our son, um, all he wanted to do was to be a regular little boy, play soccer, right. you know, do the thing, play with his brother, wear his soccer jerseys, do what he wanted. And he couldn't have that. And a lot of the time. And we allowed him and we advocated for him. And I think that that's what we, rather than dwell on the nightmarish aspect of it, because you can Mm -hmm. really get caught up in the, um, you know, be overwhelmed by the sheer. uh, The magnitude of cancer. (laughs) The the magnitude of cancer normally. Um, and watching your child suffer is, I think, one of the hardest things any parent has to deal with, no matter what the condition is. But mm-hmm. I think for us, the way we turned on that is we chose to really become, uh, we also, we, we laugh in the childhood cancer um, space that, you know, you become oncologists, you know, you learn about everything, you right. find information, you connect, um, you are the mother bear in the, in the <laughs> hospital, yes. um, you make sure that nothing goes wrong. Um, and you really need that cause you're their voice and you're there. Um, because in, in no matter what, how great a hospital is, things happen. Oh, yes. And so you really need to be on top of things. And I think that that's how we kind of controlled our, we can, we controlled what we can control mm-hmm. and tried to let go of what we couldn't control. Um, I think the, the the biggest challenge for us was just um, letting go of our fear of letting him be a normal little boy, mm-hmm. um, of letting him go out. I wish you, the, the readers could, the listeners could hear uh, or see, you know, him in his little skinny legs out there playing soccer with kids twice his size. Right. Um, and him just enjoying every moment. But I'll tell you, I was sitting on the sidelines with my head, <laughs> you know, covered and you know he's got a broviac and he's playing you know t-ball and he, has, like, he had oh, a what God. he had a what he had a, a broviac a port oh okay a port okay he had a port and um, which most kids get and mm-hmm. you know it's a little scary to let your kid play yeah. sports and do that yeah and but i think um we had a great community of people who in his school um allowed him really to be and engage uh, in as normal life as possible. And we really advocated for that as parents, uh, no matter how much fear was involved on our part to just, our instinct was to protect him, but his instinct was to get out there and do what he wanted. And I think it doesn't matter what the age of the cancer patient, I can tell you that, you know, the last thing I wanted to talk about when I wasn't going through treatment was cancer. And all I wanted to do was, like you said, be normal. And sometimes people didn't really know how to handle that. You know, it's like, I'm not the disease. Mason's not his disease. We are, you know, just, just happened to happen to us. We just happened to get cancer. And I think a lot of people don't get that. Right. I think when people used to stare at him in, in the supermarket, mm-hmm. he would look at them, straight look at them and say, I have cancer. 
<laughs> and, awesome. you know, because he would know that he would, you know, understand that people are looking at him for mm-hmm. that. Right. Um, but I think for us, it was um, clear uh, that he did not want to identify himself as a patient. The one thing my father told me um, when Mason was diagnosed was he is not cancer. Right. This is just something he has. Mm-hmm. Um you still need to discipline him. You still need to to treat him like a normal kid um, as much as possible in a very crazy situation, but he still craves limits. He still wants structure. Um, you can't spoil him to death. It's not going to make him any better. <laughs> um, and it's really important that he still feels like things are the same. Uh, and that really helped me uh, really helped me. And believe me, it was hard to, take this little boy who was on steroids and obviously, mm-hmm. you know, angry. And uh, as you know, like when you take steroids, you get very emotional and it's yes. very volatile. And and to sit him down and say, no, I understand that you're upset, and but you still can't throw the <laughs> things at your brother and you can't try to bite people. And, you, you know, like there's... Oh, him you know, too? There's, no, there's, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seriously. I mean, it, it was really hard to put him in timeout sometimes when it was, you know, this poor little guy who was, you know dead tired and exhausted and but he I think felt like you know we treated him just the same okay and it was important for his brother too I think that that's really important too is that his brother understood that you know he didn't get a free pass just because all this (laughs) stuff was happening right because that's not the way to get a free pass I'll tell you right now no it's definitely (laughs) not the way to get a free pass definitely not a good way to get the free pass well that's great that you you know um treated him normal like I said that's that's a huge thing that I try to tell people like I was just uh met somebody a 24 year old with brain cancer and she works with some friends of mine and I said don't bring up cancer unless she does because you know the last thing you want to talk about is your disease so and -hmm. and I think this person that I just met the cancer survivor I I could kind of tell that she was so much more relaxed and it wasn't like oh and how are you doing and what's the treatment and you know do they have, you know, I mean, I know they, they gave her like a certain amount of time to live or whatever, but people don't have expiration dates. Milk bottles do. I and mean, that's what I always say. But, you know, that's I would say that's one of the main things is to uh, treat people normally. I can't stress that enough. Well, I think, you know, that thing, especially for parents who are going through this and mm-hmm. anybody is we still have regular lives going on right. outside of it. And we still, you know, and as crazy as this gets, we still want to hear every once in a while about your kids and oh, yes. you know what's happening and, you know, know what's happening in your life. Our whole life, yes, albeit is very centric around that experience, it's not our only experience. And we still have way uh, a lot more going on than just that. And mm-hmm. we need to feel a part of the community in a different way, not just as the cancer family in the community. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think the thing for us prior to his death was really to advocate for him to have as normal life as possible and to, you know, advocate him, especially towards, for him, especially towards the end. So from that, you created the Mason Leach Superstar Fund. Tell me a little bit about that. Right. Um, my, uh, and my husband's feeling was, and like I said, because I had worked in the cancer space before, Mm -hmm. um, we didn't want to go out and create something, another foundation in our son's name, you know, on its own, because right. we felt like there was a lot of good things happening mm-hmm. in the community, in his hospital that we wanted to support, but we didn't want to create a, a separate thing. 
So we, Mason Lee Superstar Fund essentially is a, a, a specific fund within Children's National Medical Center. Um, and that's to provide the extras uh, for many programs, for the art program, for the team program, for uh, volunteer services and uh, the bear closet, which is uh, kind of the catch-all for a lot of the different projects that happen within the hospital. And really, our idea was to sweat the small details that make the everyday life of a child in the hospital and the family in the hospital a little bit easier, mm -hmm. whether it's, um, you know, extra art supplies for the art program or, you know, getting video cameras for the team program, buying Wii games for the floor so kids who are in pain but need to move around can do that in a, in a more childlike way, you know, that, right. that they can enjoy it a little bit more rather than seeing it as a chore. Mm -hmm. uh, and we wanted to honestly give, uh, show our older son, Mateo, and our community that from this tragedy, we can do positive things. Exactly. And we can give a, give a roadmap to these kids who have watched this child die within their community a way to give back and a way to um, honor Mason that is a productive and a clear way to help other kids within their community. Um, Children's National Medical Center uh, provides a tremendous amount of uh, support to the D.C. community and D.C. Northern Virginia, Maryland okay. community and provides a lot of indigent care and uh, does an amazing job. And, you know, there's a lot of need there. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, providing those little extras, like we, for example, provide soccer balls to the D.C. United team when they come to visit the hospital. Oh, awesome. Because, because Mason loves soccer. And, uh, and you say, well, that's you know, how does that really fit in? Well, it, again, it's to speaking to that concept of allowing the child to feel normal. Right. Giving them something to look forward to, to move around in a normal way, um, to be active. Uh, it, it allows them to just kind of uh, feel like a regular kid. Uh, and it also, they love meeting the players and all that kind of stuff, of course. But it, again, it's it's making the children and allowing that money really helps, you know, with the small things like laundry detergent, art supplies, right. and uh, you know, having a clean blanket after you've thrown up all day, you know, of your favorite blanket does make a difference and allows the parent to clean up their clothes if they've been there five days. <laughs> you know, yeah. It, it's, you know, things like that. It's, it, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but... Well, it's the it, things you don't think about either as a as a parent or a cancer patient. No, you don't. And especially when you're a parent, it's like, you know, we, we provide toothbrushes and toothpaste sometimes, um, collect those as part of the fund so that the hospital can give them out to the parents who wind up getting stuck there for the night. Right. Um, when the counts are low and things like that. It's just, you know, again, sweating the small stuff for the hospital. Well, that's good because, like I said, th I mean, there were a lot of things that I didn't realize because I had a port and one of my friends said, oh, you should have like a polo shirt. So when they do the infusion, you know, you have that opening. And, I, you know, right. I, I that's not what, something that I would have thought of at all. Right. You know, I mean, well, just little things like that. Right. And that's where... Um, you know, things like Inspire with, you know, I work at Inspire.com and we have an online community mm -hmm. for the American Childhood Cancer Organization. And that really allows us to communicate with other cancer parents mm -hmm. and other cancer patients because we have several different cancer communities 
um, in partnership with organizations that it's those small details that really make a big difference. And you can only hear about that from other patients. Exactly. Um, and you, you're only, you know, it provides insight. You can say, how do I get my child in a car seat with a pull mm-hmm. um, You know, how did you find, you know, what, what medicine for nausea worked the best for your kids or yes. what foods did you feed your kids? Or, you know, there's things that, um, you know, the patient to patient peer to support is critical and really allows um, you to find out those small things that really can make a huge difference in how you get through your day. I agree. Like going back to the uh, brain cancer survivor that I met, I was chatting with her online and, <clears throat> excuse me, I come to find out that our mutual friend said, well, she said, well, Mel's really blunt. Because I'll just say, okay, this is what happened to me and this is how I felt because I'm not going to sugarcoat it, you know. Right. It's. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you know, cancer isn't something, the same thing that you see in TV or movies no. or, even, yeah, or even in books or anything. But, you know, I'm not going to tell somebody, I mean, obviously everybody's different, but I'm not going to say, oh, well, it wasn't that bad. I'm like, yeah, it sucked. You know, there were days when I just didn't want to get out of bed and, you know, I wasn't in a good mood, but, you know, you you have to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's where the kids really, um, and like I said, I've been in cancer for a long time. I've worked with ovarian cancer patients, prostate patients, colorectal patients for a long time, and um, in prevention and detection, but again, volunteers and survivors. And, you know, the one thing I will say is that the one thing that cancer patients have taught me over the years is that they keep going. Mm-hmm. A lot of them keep going exactly. and no matter what happens and that it inspires you to do different things. Like, you know, now, you know, for right now I've done Mason's fund and that mm-hmm. deals with more of the day-to-day life aspects of life with cancer for kids. Right. And then now I'm going to be going uh, this September with uh, a group called 46 Mamas who are going to be shaving their head for childhood cancer. Oh, right. They and were on um, Stand Up to Cancer. Right. I'm in the class of 2011. Oh. Uh, and we're going to be doing it here in Washington, D.C. Awesome. on September 13th at Union Station. And we are, it's to benefit St. Baldrick's Foundation, which is the largest um, funder of childhood cancer specific research um, outside of the government. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, how do you, people ask, how do you deal with losing a child and losing a child to cancer? And I think, it's been very clear that I've turned my grief into action. Exactly. Um, again, on the more day-to-day side and now more on the research side. And I was compelled, obviously, by the women going bald last year mm-hmm. um, in a very profound way. But, again, my son didn't have a choice being bald. Right. He, he hated <laughs> losing his hair. Oh, amen. Amen to that, Mason. You're, you're listening right now. Seriously. I hated going bald, yeah. too. Oh. Yeah, and my, you know, like I said, my sister had pediatric cancer when she was 13. I know oh. how painful it was for her to mm-hmm. um, lose her hair at that age. Because um, you, you know what? And, you don't really think about it. It's like, eh, it's just hair. And then when you don't have it, you're like, oh, wait a minute. I look like a space alien. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, my son just, he was, you know, even though he was five, you know, almost four or five, he, he hated losing his beautiful blonde hair. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, when these women came to me and said, do you want to be part of this? I said, absolutely, because, you know, if it makes a difference and, and make sure that I think what angered me the most learning about a lot of this stuff post um, Mason's death was mm-hmm. I learned that my sister was treated 25 years ago with the same drugs that Mason was treated with, that what? there wasn't a lot new to the or- arsenal. That's crazy. Um, 
and, you know, of childhood cancer-specific drugs. They're using the same arsenal, just in a different way. And we need to change that. And so that's why I felt very strongly about joining this team uh, of women. And so, you know, people ask, how do you get through that? And how do you survive losing a child every day? Mm -hmm. I don't think, I think what is critical and the best way to honor your child is to do something positive every day exactly in their name. And that's what I've chosen to do. And, and that, that's how I get through it. And you've actually, not that many people have done this, stunned me into silence by saying that your uh, sister was treated with the same drugs that your son was. That's crazy. Yeah. How many years? Dif- yeah, I mean, how many years difference? 25, it- 25 years. Oh, what? 25 years. And a lot of people don't know that about childhood cancer, and I think that that's really critically important for people to understand is that they haven't moved very far. No. They're just treating them with different drugs at higher doses, and that's why it's changed for some childhood cancers. The um, survival rates have changed, but it comes at a very, very high cost to the kids who live. Right. And so that's why these women have gotten together these 46 mamas have gotten together and really um, galvanized to change that. Wow. I, I had no idea. That's, you know, we have to change that. Yeah. If you go to 46mamas.com, you can look and see the, the statistics and why these women have come together. And it's really, uh, uh, it's, 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 it's honestly a sin to me that mm-hmm. it's, that, that that's the same. And like I said, I've worked in the cancer space a long time. I know that, you know, every cancer has, is very important. Right. Um, and medical research is clinic, clearly underfunded. Um, NIH is clearly underfunded. And there's something that has to be done about that. Because if you look at the statistics for cancer, uh, you know, one in two, one in three, it, it's just, it's staggering. Uh, you know, it's not going to go away. It's no. not going to go away, and it's going to keep on taking people, great people from this earth, mm-hmm. like I our agree. children, like, you know, like our friends, like our family members um, yes. every single day. So tell me more about Team Inspire, because that's kind of how I got a hold of you through your friend, John. Um, sure. Inspire.com is Inspire. a um, is a voluntary, uh, is a social health network mm-hmm. uh, that it, in, in partnership with many health organizations, over 65 health organizations, um, that connects patients, families, and caregivers uh, for support and inspiration. And what we do is, we and I'm the director of partnerships for Inspire, okay. and we go out and work with national health organizations like Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, Ovarian Cancer National Alliance, mm-hmm. Nav- National Cervical Cancer Coalition, um, to create these online communities so patients and families can connect and find each other, but also that they have the vetted information and resources of the organization as well. So it's um, we provide kind of that, that space for the organization to connect those patients. And it's really... Um, it's been it's been amazing to see how people have connected one on one with one another with each other on the community um, and seen the growth of those communities. I was with Ovarian Cancer National Alliance when we created the um, ovarian group, mm-hmm. and it went from zero and it's almost five thousand three years later. Wow! Uh, 
so again, it creates that sense of community amongst patients. Um, it provides that, you know, when people go online, they're trying to find somebody who's dealing with the same thing. Right. And, and again, it, it provides that space where they can get those helpful t- tips. They can vent about what's happening in their life. They can vent about chemotherapy. They can vent about whatever health condition that they have because yes. we do have many other health conditions on Inspire as well, a lot of rare disease conditions as well. And it's uh, really um, a great tool for organizations as well as individuals to find each other. Awesome, because when I uh, was going through my treatment, well, I didn't really know about Facebook, and I'm not, when did Team Inspire, when did Inspire.com start? Um, about five years ago. Oh, see, I didn't even, I should have known about you guys when I was <laughs> Obviously, I wasn't looking well enough, but, uh, you know, I didn't know about Facebook, and, you know, online communities now are so huge, and just to get that instant reaction from someone saying, oh, yeah, you know, insomnia is a side effect of chemo. You know, which I didn't right. know. I'm like, okay, well, I can't sleep. This really sucks. And then, you know, come to well, find out, I mean, I should have known, obviously, but I just thought, well, you know, I mean, just little things like that you could, your uh, other patients and other uh, caregivers could share with the rest. Yes, and it, cre- it creates that continuity mm-hmm. um, for support because yes. you may go to an in-person support group and, you know, whatever, people connect on one-on-one in many different ways and not everybody wants to do it online. Not everybody wants to do it face-to-face. Not everybody is up at 2 a.m., right. you know, stressing out that they can't, you know, that they feel awful. And so this provides a platform in which to do that. Right. And uh, it, that is uh, very beneficial to patients uh, to be able to outreach. And I think the premise of Inspire is that the individual member has complete control over their privacy and security mm-hmm. out of all the information that they take in and all the information that they want to share. Right. Um, it's a very safe and secure platform. It's where you want people to talk about their health. Facebook is a great, is a great tool. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it's more for... Um, advocacy and information and but to talk about your personal health condition not the great space not a really safe private <laughs> secure space so what do you mean this yeah, is what, <laughs> what do you mean what do you mean we don't change our privacy settings every other day um <laughs> so it, you know our premise really is that the individual member has the capacity to have complete control over all of their information right and also it's really um it's really interesting to see uh, how people engage. And when we ask people to, you know, for information or to give their input or to give uh, their story about what their experience is, they're very active and engaged patients that are on Inspire. And that's really, uh, we just had an example of that with a rare disease. Uh, We compiled a report of uh, experience for uh, diagnosis Mm -hmm. and, uh, it was really easy to collect those stories because people really wanted to share that information. Oh, that's awesome. And especially with rare diseases too, because I mean, you know, I don't want to say breast cancer is a dime a dozen, but you know, breast cancer has, we, we have a month. And uh, as a cancer advocate, I just wish that every cancer had as much uh, notoriety, I guess, and ribbons Mm -hmm. everywhere out there as breast cancer. Right, yeah. and there's a great community on Inspire for advanced breast cancer patients. Oh, okay. Um, that is a coalition of um, organizations that came together uh, to create a community uh, for advanced breast cancer patients and resources for them okay. and, on Inspire. And it's, an, it's a great community for 
uh, patients who have metastatic disease. And uh, it's really uh, a great resource for the individuals who are dealing with that because a lot of those, a lot of those organizations provide resources for breast cancer overall, but not necessarily a community specific to that topic. Right. And, and they have that on Inspire now. Oh, awesome. So you got pretty much everything on there. We do. We're still growing, <laughs> and there's organizations. You know, I mean, we have a lot of partners. We have over 65 partners. Uh, but, you know, we're growing every day, and we um, provide our services for free to our health nonprofit partners. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that we feel is a critical component to our success as a, um, as a company is that is that partnership with those nonprofit organizations. Tell me again about uh, how people can get a hold of you and get to the Inspire website. You can go to the Inspire website at www.inspire.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the individuals want to reach out, uh, you can go to Danielle at Inspire.com. And then information. Me. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, for information about becoming a partner or um, more information about us, you can go to team at inspire.com. And uh, to get a hold of you or to find out more about the Mason Leach Superstar Fund, how do we do that? Um, you can go to masonleachsuperstarfund.webs.com, mm-hmm. and you can um, reach me at Danielle Leach, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-L-E-A-C-H, at yahoo.com. Wow. Well, Danielle, thanks for, so much for joining us today. Um, I'm hoping that if we talk within like the next year or so that uh, researchers will have found a better way to treat pediatric cancer than the same thing that they're using 25 years ago, because that's, that's just not right. No, it's not right. And we'll see. Well, definitely. We're going to keep pushing. We're going to change we're gonna it. We're going to keep pushing. Well, hang Absolutely. on a second. <laughs> Hold on a second, Danielle. I'm going to wrap up like I usually do. This is the Cancer Warrior. You can always find me on Facebook because I am a Facebook junkie. Uh, my page is Mel Majoros. You can also check out my Facebook page, The Cancer Warrior, on EmpowerRadio.com. Check out my blog spot, TheCancerWarrior.blogspot.com. I have a new website, TheCancerWarrior.net. And as always, life looks pretty good from where I'm sitting. Sending you good vibes. It's The Cancer Warrior on EmpowerRadio.com. <laughs>